0: Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. Today's episode will be hosted by Tiana DeMossi, a third year medical student at LSU New Orleans. Hey future docs, welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made by medical students for medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Tiana DeMossi, I'm a third year medical student at LSU New Orleans, and I will be your host today. Today's podcast will be focused on psychoactive drugs. We will cover the signs and symptoms of psychoactive drug intoxication and withdrawal, as well as treatments you may see on step one. In this review, I will be asking questions, so feel free to pause so you can answer along at home. Try to think of the answer even if you're not sure what it is because active participation is a great way to get the information to stick. Don't feel discouraged if you don't remember something. We often remember the answers we got wrong more than those we got right. My goal today is to give you a framework to compare and contrast the clinical vignettes of intoxication or withdrawal questions and tie that to the mechanism of action of some of these drugs. This is the highlight reel for a large topic, so we will just discuss the most testable presentations. To build our framework, we can separate psychoactive drugs into three main categories by their overall effect. Can you think of what those would be? I would separate them by depressants, stimulants, and hallucinogens. Thinking in these broad categories can help us group together some similar presentations and focus on the differences within each category. Let's start with depressants. What drugs would you include in the depressants category? We include alcohol, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, and opioids. What receptor does alcohol, barbiturates, and benzodiazepines work at? It works at a GABA-A receptor and positively modulates it, giving us the CNS depression symptoms that we see. Opioids work at their own opioid receptors, but they also cause CNS depression. Knowing these drugs cause CNS depression, what symptoms are you likely to see in a depressant intoxication? Non-specific signs are going to include mood elevation, decreased anxiety, sedation, behavioral disinhibition, and respiratory depression. So with alcohol intoxication, we'll see these signs plus ataxia. Remember ataxia is that loss of coordination of voluntary muscle movements. So they'll present with slurred speech and stumbling as well. In severe cases, it can lead to coma or blackouts. You can also get a nystagmus with severe alcohol intoxication. What lab results would you expect in chronic alcohol use? Patients can present with an elevated GGT, that's your gamma glutamyl transferase, and their AST will be approximately twice as elevated as their ALT. What do you do to treat alcohol intoxication? Treatment is largely supportive. If taken to the hospital, they'll get fluids, thiamine to prevent Wernicke's encephalopathy, and they'll correct any electrolyte imbalances like hypoglycemia. Alcohol withdrawal is highly testable as there's different symptoms expected depending on when their last drink was. And patients using alcohol chronically won't have access to alcohol when they're hospitalized. So you can look for clues in the question stem like, this patient was admitted X hours ago for something unrelated and now has tremors. Let's review what those symptoms are. What are the first signs of alcohol withdrawal and what time frame would you expect to see them? You'll see tremors, insomnia, some GI upset, sweating, and mild agitation between three to 36 hours after their last drink. If this goes unnoticed, what can happen within six to 48 hours? This is when you can see withdrawal seizures and these will be a generalized clonic tonic seizure. Between 12 to 48 hours, they can experience alcoholic hallucinations. What type of hallucinations are most common? The most commonly have visual hallucinations, so seeing things that aren't there. The last sign of alcohol withdrawal can be seen between 48 to 96 hours after their last drink when they can develop delirium tremens. What would you expect a patient having delirium tremens to look like? These patients will have an altered consciousness and sympathetic hyperactivity, meaning they'll be agitated, they'll be tachycardic, hypotensive, have a fever, and be sweating. Which of these signs and symptoms are life-threatening? That's right. Seizures and delirium tremens can be life-threatening to the patients, but hallucinations alone are not dangerous. What is the treatment for alcohol withdrawal? Benzodiazepines, so think about how their mechanism of action is similar to alcohol, and we can taper these down gradually. You can also use anticonvulsants if they're still having seizures even on benzodiazepines. Moving on to our other depressants, let's talk about barbiturates and benzodiazepines. These ones can be easily compared to each other. In terms of intoxication, which one would you expect has the greater safety margin That would be our benzodiazepines. So you can take more benzodiazepines without causing serious side effects than you can in your barbiturates. So think of benzodiazepines as the milder version of barbiturates. What would you expect to see in a benzodiazepine intoxication? We'll see these nonspecific CNS depressant symptoms, but we'll also see ataxia and we'll have minor respiratory depression. Let's compare that to barbiturates. What would you expect to see with barbiturates? Barbiturates, we will see a marked respiratory depression. Think of it as it working even harder at that GABA receptor to decrease our central respiratory drive. What is the treatment for intoxication with benzodiazepines or barbiturates? So this is a little tough. Benzodiazepines, we have a drug called flumazenil which is a benzodiazepine receptor antagonist. So in theory, it would work really well for intoxication, but it's rarely used in practice because it can precipitate seizures. Barbiturates on the other hand, it's symptom management. We need to assist them with that poor respiratory drive and increase their blood pressure. Let's switch to withdrawal for these drugs. Withdrawal is gonna follow the same trend where benzodiazepines are less severe than their barbiturate counterparts. What would you expect to see from a benzodiazepine withdrawal? We'll see some sleep disturbance and we'll see depression, but what about barbiturates? Barbiturates, we can see delirium and you can even see a life-threatening cardiovascular collapse. What is the treatment for a benzo or barbiturate withdrawal? For both of these, since again, they're working at that same GABA-A receptor, we can use a long-acting benzodiazepine like a clonazepam or a diazepam. Let's move on to our last depressant, opioids. Opioids are the most common cause of drug overdose death. Being a depressant, We'll see the CNS depression and respiratory depression symptoms we saw in our other drugs, but what will the pupils look like in opioid intoxication? They'll be constricted. We call that meiosis. You'll also see a decreased gag reflex and seizures. In long-term use, you can get constipation as well. What is the drug of choice for an opioid intoxication? We use naloxone. Naloxone is the short acting opioid antagonist and it can be given IM, IV or by nasal spray. And it works very quickly to reverse respiratory and CNS depression symptoms. It will throw the patient into withdrawal symptoms. So let's talk about that. What does withdrawal look like for opioids? Think of withdrawal in general as the opposite of an intoxication. So we'll see dilated pupils, They'll be sweating, they'll have a runny nose, lacrimation, nausea, stomach cramps, diarrhea, essentially an excess of fluids out of the body. Is withdrawal from opioids life-threatening? No, but we do wanna keep these patients hydrated and comfortable. So what is the treatment for opioid withdrawal? You can use both methadone and buprenorphine as correct options, but they'll differ in their mechanisms of action. So let's review those. Methadone is a long acting full agonist of the opioid receptor. Buprenorphine is a partial agonist. On to our next major category, which is the stimulants. So what drugs would you expect to see in the stimulants category? We include amphetamines, cocaine, nicotine, and caffeine as a stimulant. Let's talk about the mechanism of actions of these drugs, starting with cocaine. What is the mechanism of action for cocaine? Cocaine blocks VMAT, that's your monoamine transporter. And so it's gonna block the reuptake of dopamine, neuroepinephrine, and serotonin. So we'll have more of those stimulating neurotransmitters in the synapse. What about the mechanism of action of amphetamines? Amphetamines work similarly to cocaine in that they will block the reuptake of dopamine, neuroepinephrine, and serotonin. But in addition, they also encourage neurotransmitter release into the synapse, meaning that that presynaptic neuron is going to dump its dopamine into the synapse as well. They also have a longer duration of action than cocaine. Nicotine is gonna act at the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. So it's easy to see how nicotine intoxication could make you feel restless. Caffeine is also part of our stimulants list, even though most of us wouldn't recognize it that way. Um, But it is the most consumed psychoactive drug. It has many mechanisms of actions, but the most prominent is that it's an adenosine antagonist. Adenosine usually functions as an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the CNS, so blocking it prevents that onset of drowsiness. Caffeine also stimulates certain parts of the autonomic nervous system. Thinking about the stimulants as a whole, what sort of nonspecific symptoms would you expect to see from this category? Right, so these are working essentially opposite the depressants we just spoke about. So we'll still see some mood elevation, but we'll see decreased appetite, psychomotor agitation, insomnia, cardiac arrhythmias, tachycardia, and anxiety. Think about it as being too amped up to eat or sleep and your heart is working so fast it can't work properly. For amphetamine specifically, what would you expect to see in its intoxication? So for amphetamines, we'll see euphoria, grandiosity, even into paranoia. For your objective signs, you'll see fever, hypertension, and pupillary dilation. In severe cases, you can also see cardiac arrest or seizures. With methamphetamines, patients may also have skin excoriations from picking at their own skin. How do you treat amphetamine intoxication? We're able to give benzos for agitation and seizures in these patients as symptomatic treatment. This looks similar to cocaine intoxication. Can you identify the differences? It's pretty difficult. We see the same pupillary dilation, prolonged periods without sleep, paranoia, and impaired judgment. But with cocaine, your cardio manifestations are more likely to be angina or a sudden cardiac death. Another major clue that we're talking about cocaine is nasal symptoms. So people can snort cocaine and it can cause a vasoconstriction in the nasal mucosa, which can present as mucosal erythema, a runny nose, or in chronic users, they can actually have a perforated nasal septum. That's when that vasoconstriction caused ischemic necrosis and that part had died off. So there's a hole now. What is the treatment for cocaine intoxication? Like many other answers today, it's benzodiazepines, just like we would do with amphetamines. But we may also want to give them a dual alpha-beta blocker like labetalol for their hypertension and tachycardia. Some of your resources may say that you should avoid pure beta blockers when someone has cocaine in their system because you would essentially be giving them unopposed alpha stimulation and that could theoretically worsen their coronary artery vasoconstriction. This is currently being debated in the clinical world. Let's switch it up and talk about withdrawal for these drugs. So with stimulants, I like to think of the intoxication as using up all of our neurotransmitters, whereas the withdrawal is more of a crash when the drug is gone and we need to replete our neurotransmitter stores. So what does withdrawal look like for cocaine and amphetamines? It's arguably about the same. You'll have this post-use crash with depression, lethargy, increased appetite, sleep disturbances, and vivid nightmares. Again, thinking about the intoxication with these drugs to be a very elevated mood state, the withdrawal is going to be a depressive state. We're using up all of that serotonin and neuroepinephrine and dopamine. Is cocaine and amphetamine withdrawal a life-threatening state? No, it's not life-threatening let's move on to discussing nicotine. So nicotine intoxication is not often achieved complaint, but you still see it in people being restless. Think of it as a psychomotor agitation in stimulant use from that nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. What you're more likely to see is nicotine withdrawal. So what do you expect nicotine withdrawal to look like? These people will be irritable, they'll have anxiety, they'll be restless, and they'll have difficulty concentrating. Think of it as the light version of our other stimulants withdrawals. So what drug treatments can we offer people who want to undergo smoking cessation? We have three options. We have the nicotine patches, gums, and lozenges, and those serve to give the patient nicotine without them needing to smoke cigarettes. We also have bupropion, which is an atypical antidepressant with a side effect of decreased withdrawal symptoms and decreased nicotine cravings. We also have forensicline, or Chantix, which is a partial agonist to the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. So think of it as buprenorphine for opioids both of them act at partial agonists to their receptors. This is admittedly lower yield, but to be inclusive, caffeine is also a stimulant. I'm sure many of us have experienced drinking too much coffee. It can make you feel jittery, like your muscles are twitching, restless, and there's increased diuresis, so you may need to go use the restroom. And for withdrawal, think about those mornings that you missed your coffee. You may have a headache or difficulty concentrating, or you may even have flu-like symptoms. We're moving on to our final category, which is the hallucinogens. What drugs are in this category? We have LSD, marijuana, MDMA or ecstasy, and phencyclodine or PCP. These drugs don't hold as many of the nonspecific symptoms across its category. So this is more of memorization than our previous categories. Let's start with LSD. So what do you expect to see in an LSD intoxication? You'll have a perception distortion. So visual and auditory experience is distorted and you can have depersonalization. That's when you're feeling detached from your body and your thoughts. You can also have flashbacks. Those are usually non-disturbing content, but you can get paranoid, you can have psychosis, and you can have panic attacks, referred to as a bad trip. These can sometimes be so bad that it leads to suicidal ideation. Of note, LSD doesn't have common withdrawal symptoms, so we won't need to study that today. What about marijuana intoxication? So marijuana can have a large variety of symptoms ranging from euphoria, anxiety, paranoid delusions, perception of slowed time, impaired judgment, social withdrawal, and hallucinations. You can also see increased appetite, dry mouth, and conjunctival injection, or the red eyes. I like to think of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo for this. Do we see symptoms with marijuana withdrawal? Yes. So, like most of what we talked about today, it's going to be opposite of the intoxication. We'll see irritability, anxiety, depression, insomnia, restlessness, and decreased appetite. Again, a large variety of symptoms. What about MDMA? What would that look like for an intoxication? So MDMA or ecstasy is a hallucinogenic and it's also a stimulant. So think symptoms of both. You can have euphoria, disinhibition, hyperactivity, distorted sensory and time perception, and you can have bruxism, which is the fancy word for teeth grinding ecstasy can also be life-threatening in that you can have hypertension tachycardia hyperthermia hyponatremia and serotonin syndrome i like to focus on the hypothermia because we don't see that with our other hallucinogens so it could be a clear sign on a question what about mdma withdrawal so we think the opposite again we'll have this depression fatigue change in appetite, difficulty concentrating, and anxiety. It's another crash. Our last drug to discuss today is fencyclidine, aka PCP. So what would you expect to see in a PCP intoxication? Like other drugs, you're going to see tachycardia, hypertension, psychosis, delirium, seizures, psychomotor agitation, but it stands apart due to the patient's impulsivity to violence. This clinical vignette will often include something like brought in by the police or lashing out in some way, and trauma can be common, broken bones, and things of the sort. Another buzzword for PCP intoxication is nystagmus. We don't see that often in the other drug intoxications except severe alcohol intoxication. What about PCP withdrawal? these are somewhat nondescript symptoms, you'll have some depression, anxiety, irritability, restlessness, and disturbances of thought and sleep. I know we went through a lot of drugs today, but that wraps up the most tested psychoactive drug problems. To recap, we can group these drugs into depressants, stimulants, and hallucinogens with the categories sharing common features by similar mechanisms of action. When trying to memorize intoxication and withdrawal symptoms, think of the withdrawal as the opposite sides of intoxication. And one last word of advice, some drug intoxications can be easily mistaken for other psychiatric illnesses. Think about schizophrenia and amphetamine intoxication. You should be leaning towards drug intoxication when this behavior becomes more acute, like behavior someone else noticed this week rather than this year. And look for concerning vital sign changes. For example, you can see a fever in amphetamine intoxication, but it's not very likely that you would see a fever in a patient with schizophrenia without some other identifiable acute illness or infection. Thank you for studying with me today. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying, and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.